Greetings, film pals. I bid you welcome to The Cinematic Crypt, a movie podcast hosted by Movie John's Old Sport and Classic Corner, Rosalie Kicks, me. Each episode, I travel six feet under and pry open a coffin of one of my favorite Hollywood corpses and perform a post-watch examination of one of their forgotten films. Lend me your ears and listen along as I summon the spirits of Hollywood's dearly departed and uncover your next favorite film from the grave. Before we descend into the crypt, I will begin with reading my obituary, a notice of what I have been up to since the last time we spent time together. Being that today's corpse of interest is Betty Davis, I felt it would be most fitting to share a book that I recently read, Miss D and Me, Life with the Invincible, Betty Davis, by Catherine Cermak. Catherine was Betty Davis's personal assistant during the last years of her life. For 10 years, she was at her side and shares personal accounts of her time with Miss D. This was an extremely enjoyable book, and I highly recommend checking it out, as it tells about the bond between two women, one at the end of her life and one who was just starting out. It was nice to hear about some of the adventures these two had together and the friendship. It really proved what a remarkable person Betty was, and I am now inspired to check out the books that she wrote about her life, which are entitled The Lonely Life and This and That. Don't fret, goblins and ghouls. I will report back on my findings of corpse. Besides continuing my research on Vampyra, I have also been keeping myself busy with Movie John projects. With the release of our latest issue, Movie John is hosting a coloring contest, and I have been embroidering some movie-themed linen napkins, aprons, and even a tote bag. Make sure to check out the Movie John Instagram and Twitter for a preview, at Movie John. I have found that embroidering has brought me much relaxation in these trying times. If you would like to join in on the fun, it is easy. Just pick up the latest edition of Movie John at moviejohn.com slash shop. She comes on like a rose, but everybody knows she'll get you in touch. You can look, but you better not touch. Poison Time to grab your cape and get comfortable with a cocktail. It is time for our regularly scheduled spooky program. Follow me, but watch your step as you descend down to the cinematic crypt. Now why don't we be sensible? I've more chance here than on the run and you've more chance while I'm here. I have nothing to run from. You're up to your sweet little neck in accessory to murder. This may be the first time Betty Davis has paid a visit to the crypt, but I assure you, goblins and ghouls, it shall not be the last. 
Born April 5, 1908, Betty Davis managed to rack up 123 film credits and is one of my favorite actors from cinema past. This may sound weird, but of course, isn't that what you have come to expect from this show? Weird? Unusual? It is why you descend into the crypt. I would like to believe the company isn't bad either. A polite and professional cinematic gravedigger like myself. As for Betty, I believe she may have been a werewolf. I know this seems like an incredible thought, but the evidence points in that direction. To be clear, I also do not find this to be a fault in her character. Oh no, it is quite thrilling to me to know that she, like myself, may have descended from wolves. You may recall from a previous episode, episode 9, The Gold Rush, I introduced the term werewolf cinema, a genre of film meaning bonkers, or simply put, wild. Betty was wild, in all the right ways, and as a werewolf, it should come as no surprise that she invented the genre. Take a look at her past flicks if you don't believe me. Now Voyager, Jezebel, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, or Another Man's Poison, which will be the movie I shall be uncovering today. Directed by Irving Rapper, who was selected to direct Another Man's Poison by Betty herself, as he directed her in several other films such as Now Voyager and Deception. Another Man's Poison stars Betty Davis and her then-husband, Gary Merrill. In watching this film, it took me a moment to place Gary. He is most recognizable from the film All About Eve, in which he played Betty's love interest, Bill Simpson which was also the first collaboration with Betty in the film in which they first met and started a relationship. During their 10-year-long marriage, Gary and Betty made three pictures together, the other being Phone Call from a Stranger in 1952, following the production of Another Man's Poison. Another Man's Poison tells the story of mystery writer Janet Frobisher Preston, played by Betty Davis. For years, Janet has been separated from her husband, a man with a dark and violent past. When the film opens, we are introduced to Janet at a payphone. Just one look into those Betty Davis eyes, and you can tell she is up to something. She rings a fellow that at this time seems to be with another woman. But of course, Betty pays no mind to this. Hello? Are you alone? Well, if you're not alone, don't mention my name. That's very important. Who do they want to speak to? I don't know. Whom do you want to speak to, please? You're obviously not alone. Is it my secretary with you? Is she old enough to be sitting up to supper? Oh, don't ring off, Larry. Please don't ring off. You can pretend I'm, I'm some man you know. Call me, call me Mr. Johnson. I know you'll find it quite an effort, but we won't go into that now. Oh, Mr. Johnson. Well, it's, uh, it's not very convenient just now, Mr. Johnson. Who's he? Oh, he's, um, he's trying to sell me insurance. Oh. It's very quick of you, Larry. Make it life insurance, do you mind? <laughs> I'll tell you why that's so funny. Upon exiting the payphone, she is spotted by her pesky neighbor, a veterinarian, Dr. Henderson, 
played by Emlyn Williams. From the start, I could tell this chap would be a problem. When Janet returns home, she finds a man waiting inside, a mystery man, who goes by the name George Bates. I must stop here to remark about her home. I loved it. An isolated chateau in northern England, overlooking what is referred in the movie as a tarn, which actually means a small mountain lake, complete with a built-in bar and fireplace. Can I just move in? So this guy, Mr. Bates, played by Gary Merrill, is searching for Janet's husband. Apparently, they committed a bank robbery together, and it didn't go so great. Well, unfortunately for Mr. Bates, he just missed Mr. Preston. Preston! He won't answer, Mr. Bates. I'll make him. You can't. Nobody can. You see, he's dead. I killed him. You what? I killed him this morning. Don't you just love the music? It's so haunting. Music often plays an important role in a film, especially in a horror film. Anyways, why did Janet kill her husband? The answer is simple. She hated him. He promised her a divorce if she gave him money. Then he laughed. He was no. But how did she do it? Well, that's easy. Poison, of course. Poison is such a lovely method in terms of completing a murder. If done properly, it leaves very little mess behind. Not that I'm thinking about committing a homicide anytime soon. Although... One should always be prepared, as who knows when there may come a time in one's life that there is no other option. This is why I have developed a few poison pointers, which I shall now share with you, my dear goblins and ghouls. Before administering, it is important to find a poison without taste, as you don't want the victim to suspect foul play. Secondly, one needs to ensure that the poison selected does not leave a trace. After all, you don't need someone to come knocking on your door. Lastly, the poison should be odorless, something that can easily be mixed in with a favorite beverage of your unsuspecting victim. Fortunately for Betty, she plotted her poisoning well, following the suggested pointers. She may be a werewolf, but she knows the importance of being discreet especially when it comes to murder. When I gave him the money, he laughed in my face and said, now try and get your divorce. He sat there on the couch and asked me to bring him a drink. I refused. He became violent and started hitting me. I decided that was the last time he'd ever hit me. I brought him his drink, and I put something in it. It was all over very quickly. This act got me thinking. How many times have I witnessed Betty Davis kill in films? Let's keep count, shall we? As I uncover more of her films on the cinematic crypt, 
Let's begin a murder count for Betty. I enter this into the ledger as corpse one. One could say that it was an unfortunate time for her ex's criminal cohort to pop in unexpectedly on Janet. However, she takes advantage of the situation by having Mr. Bates assist with disposing of the body in the lake. As much as I love Janet's home, I did not like the aspect that neighbors and such could easily just drop by. Even though it appears the home is isolated, people just kept popping in. There is something about murder, too. Someone always seems to stop by when you're trying to ditch a corpse. Like Janet's nosy doctor friend, Dr. Henderson. He knocks at the door, just as they are ready to haul the corpse out of the house. He wants to retrieve the leftover medicine compound he made for Janet's horse, Fury. Uh-oh. This is the formula she had given to the late Mr. Preston. Did he ever meet your husband? No one has, not even Chris. Told you they think he's in Malaya. Where did you get the poison? A compound that Henderson made for Fury. Hello, boy. Mr. Bates continues to, as he sees it, assist Janet by then pretending to be her husband. Remember, Mr. Preston has not been seen for years, as Janet and he have been separated, so nothing seems out of the ordinary to anyone, not even when her secretary Chris, played by Barbara Murray, arrives with her fiancé, Larry, the same man that Janet was phoning from the payphone earlier. Isn't this getting good? Are you all right? Of course I'm all right. I didn't expect you back till Monday, Chris. You remember Larry? Quite. Did my faithful little secretary think I might suddenly have a juicy murder to dictate? Janet. This is when it really starts to get interesting. Mr. Bates decides he enjoys the comfort of Janet's abode and isn't in a rush to skedaddle. So he sticks around for a bit. This, of course, does not sit well with Janet. She just got rid of her husband and isn't looking for a replacement. In watching this picture, I was frustrated for Janet. These dudes kept shoving their way into her life, trying to control it. She is a successful writer that makes a superb cocktail, lives in a country home on the lake, and has a pony named Fury. The last thing she needs is Mr. Bates. However, in true Betty fashion, She plays with her victim and has a little fun with Mr. Bates before she sees him on his merry way. She plants a seed in his head that maybe Mr. Preston wasn't dead when he dumped him in the lake. That maybe it was he that committed murder. You put a man in the tarn and he wasn't dead. Not dead, Mr. Bates, only drugged. It was dark and you had to hurry, remember? Chris and Larry arrived unexpectedly and you had to do it alone. Put a man loaded with weights into 60 foot of water and he wasn't dead. You can't make me... Do you feel his pulse, Mr. Bates? Or his heart? Do you turn on the lights? You're lying. Perhaps. You'll never know, will you? You'll never be quite sure. You're leaving tomorrow. 
Oh, they're waiting lunch for us. George, are you coming? Janet. The plot continues to get more wild when Janet's secretary, Chris, discovers that Janet is indeed having an affair with her fiancé, Larry. Chris learns that the horseback rides that Janet and Larry have been taking were more than just trots around the country. They were romantical getaways with creekside canoodling. When Chris confronts Janet about it, she ends up storming out, leaving Larry with Janet and Mr. Bates. Janet is causing mayhem all around her. Let's discuss Janet's prized pony for a moment, Fury. One thing is clear in this story, and that is that Janet loves Fury more than anyone or anything in the world. I completely understand this. It reminded me of my pup, Lil Foxy, or as I refer to her, Mother, as in Mother Bates. Would I murder for mother? I believe you know the answer to that. With Chris gone, Janet tries to convince Larry that he should stay with her. I'm not sure if this was out of love or just Janet thinking that it was the best way to rid herself of Mr. Bates. Regardless, Larry has no interest in a long-term love affair with Janet. It was just a fling. Now maybe it is the country air, but Mr. Bates ends up falling for Janet, wanting her to be his actual wife and not just a pretend spouse. In seeing Janet so upset over the loss of Larry, Mr. Bates decides he has had enough and does something unforgivable. He murders Fury. I'm sorry, I had to do it. Had to do what? Fury. He stumbled in a rabbit hole and I fell off. I expected him to get up, but he didn't. He was in pain. There was blood in his mouth, so I shot him. You shot Fury. I had to do it. Oh. There's nothing you can do. Larry, Larry, get Henderson quickly. Henderson's coming. I've already sent for him. You've killed Fury. That horse meant more to me than anyone on earth. It does not take long for Dr. Henderson to make an appearance. At this point in time, it is easy to see that he missed his true calling, private investigator. He informs Janet that despite what Mr. Bates told her, there was no horse accident. Mr. Bates shot Fury. Before the doctor heads out, though, he informs Janet that he will be leaving his Jeep parked outside as the brakes are not working, and he does not want to risk driving it in the terrible rainstorm. I absolutely love rain in films, especially black and white films. Thunderstorms put me in such a lovely mood. I turn all the lights out, crawl under a blankie with mother, and have a hot cup of tea. One of my favorite films with the rain scene is in Psycho, and whenever it rains, I always have an urge to watch it. The sound of rain in film is so relaxing, and it is also 
the perfect setting for murder. Janet knows this, which is why she chooses to send Mr. Bates out into the rainstorm. She cons him into thinking that she does indeed have feelings for him, and urges him to chase after Chris, who is heading to the train station, and inform her that Janet made a mistake. She doesn't love Larry, and that Chris should come back. This is one of my favorite scenes from the film, with Mr. Bates headed out to his death in the jeep, and this is where you see Werewolf Betty on full display. She has the best reactions, especially when sending one out to their doom. She closes the drapes, throws a log on the fire, and puts on her favorite record, and sits back and relaxes. (laughs) Janet, don't do that. But this is a very funny thing that's happening to me. And when I'm amused, I laugh. I'm in love with you, deeply in love with you. Don't interrupt me. A nice woman wouldn't say things like that, would she? Chris wouldn't say that, would she? Well, I'm not a nice woman. And because I've been in love with you, I've gone to quite a little trouble in the past few days. If I told you exactly how much, your blue eyes would pop out of your beautiful head. And after all this, what does it come to? You're going to marry Chris. (laughs) Janet, hold yourself together. Mr. Bates suffers a horrible crash, which brings the police and the pesky Dr. Henderson out to the country home the next morning to drag the lake. Of course, George survived the crash, And he and Janet have now found themselves in quite the predicament, as we all know what is on the bottom of that lake. And who knows what we may find now that they're dragging the town? Dragging the town? What for? The insurance company insists. Oh, but that is ridiculous. Well, I'm afraid it's inevitable. You see, I found something else down there. I couldn't get to it. It was lying on some submerged rocks. I couldn't even see it properly, except to recognize that it was a body. The body of a man. How he got there and why, it's impossible to say yet. There'll be an inquest, of course, and no doubt a post-mortem. Oh, if there's anything I can do, my dear, you'll telephone me, won't you? (laughs) Au revoir. So what's the solution to this problem? Poison, of course. There is a moment that Janet herself thinks of taking a swig of her special concoction, dumping the horse medication into a flask. But she comes to her senses. Instead, she decides it would be best served to her pal George Bates. She tricks him into having one final sip. No, George. No, George. George, stay with me. Just for five minutes. Talk to me. I know. We'll have a drink. A farewell drink. You can't refuse me that. After George dies, who pokes his head in? But the trusty Dr. Henderson, informing Janet that he has been on to her from the start. He knew Mr. Bates was not her husband and that she committed murder. Janet pretends to faint, and Dr. Henderson knows just the trick. Here, have a swig of this. Janet quickly realizes she is drinking from the flask, and with that, there is nothing to do but laugh.
I hope you enjoyed the episode. This is not my favorite Betty Davis picture by any means, but with a swift runtime of an hour and a half, I am betting you will find this to be well worth a watch. I read that during the production, Betty remarked that they had nothing but script trouble, leaving her wonder why her and Gary even agreed to make the picture. Emlyn Williams, who played Dr. Henderson, served as a script doctor of sorts and was said to have rewritten several scenes, which Betty felt inevitably helped make the film workable, but she still found herself disappointed with the end result. I was fortunate enough to have a VHS copy of Another Man's Poison gifted to me by a film pal, a believer of the unknown and paranormal enthusiast, Roderick Towers, who also is a fellow Movie John contributor. If you would like to watch this flick, I was able to find it available on the streaming channel Tubi for free, or you can purchase a disc at fine retailers of the internets. Additionally, I recommend partaking in a tipple while you watch. Compliments of my film pal, Liz Locke, who is a Movie John contributor, but also the creator and writer of Cinemasips.com. She recommends a horse's neck, a simple concoction consisting of two ounces bourbon, three ounces ginger ale, and two to three dashes of bitters with a garnish of a long peel of lemon, spiraled of corpse. I shall share this recipe on the Crypt page, which you can find at moviejohn.com under MJ Podcasts. Inspired from my beloved Vampira, at the end of each episode, I shall recommend a cocktail to enhance your viewing experience while you are in your own cinematic crypt. In my next episode, I will be uncovering the grave of Gloria Holden to dissect the 1936 film Dracula's Daughter. This will mark the 13th episode of Cinematic Crypt, which for those that don't know, happens to be your favorite little gravedigger's numeral of choice, as October 13th marks the day in which I entered the world. Don't worry, I'll remind you as it gets closer. Until then, please make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and give us a rating and review to help other goblins and ghouls find the show. If it is a kind review, I may even read it on air, like this one from my film pal, Suze L. Seema. Cinematic Crypt is always a delight. It reminds me of the feeling you get during the first cool day of fall when you spot the first spooky decoration of the season. Oh, how this comment sent a shiver up my spine. Thank you for sharing, Suze. I shall ensure the next time you visit my crypt, there will be a lovely cocktail, poison-free, awaiting you. Take note, goblins and ghouls. A raving review may keep you from finding an early grave. Mwah. So log into iTunes to leave your own review. Or send us an email. Don't be a stranger. I want to know what you think. Drop your favorite little gravedigger a line at cinematiccrypt at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion for the show or a corpse you want me to dig up, let me know. You can also reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Cinematic Crypt.
Don't forget to visit moviejohn.com shop to subscribe to the movie zine that I create quarterly with my film pals. Our current issue features jetpacks, flying cars, and spaceships. Yes, that's right, the future. Does your future hold a mailbox filled with awesomeness? Visit moviejohn.com shop to subscribe today as they are beginning to fly out into the universe. This issue features a few writings from your favorite little gravedigger and a crossword puzzle too, celebrating a former flick pick of the crypt, Frankenstein, 1970. Don't miss out. Shout out to my Canadian film pal, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers, for providing and creating a lot of the tunes you hear in this program. Also thanks to fellow movie genre, the Hollywood hunk, Hugo Marmuji for the rad Cinematic Crypt logo. If you can't get enough of my soothing voice, make sure to check out I Saw It in a Movie, a weekly advice podcast that I co-host with my film pal, The Red Herring. Each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the cinema for the answer. This weekly podcast features a rotation of Movie John pals to serve as experts to answer all of your burning questions. No question is too silly. Maybe you are wondering where to start in silent film watching, or what to do with that creepy doll that is hiding out in your attic. Ask away by contacting us on Twitter at I Saw It in a Movie, or email us at dear I Saw It in a Movie at gmail.com. Or if you're old-fashioned, like your favorite little gravedigger, you can contact us via snail mail at Attention Movie John, P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145. All of this information is available on our website as well, moviejohn.com under MJ Podcasts. Can't wait to hear from you, old sport. And remember, for every question, there is a movie with the answer. A new episode is available every Monday. It is now time to close the coffin. Here I leave you to rest with my latest epitaph. My tombstone quote, compliments of Janet Preston. When I'm amused, I laugh. I may be six feet under, but that does not mean that I lost my sense of humor. Goodbye, film pals. (laughs) 